this morning, it's my privilege to introduce a guest speaker with us this morning, uh, Dr. Sean Parker. Uh, Sean became pastor of a church for the first time when he was 20 years old. Uh, Sean and I met at seminary at, at New Orleans, and uh, we had several classes together, but more importantly than that, we had lunch in the cafeteria together. And uh, I loved uh, just talking to Sean and hearing his mind. He is a sharp guy, and I also loved hearing his heart uh, for ministry. Uh, Sean continued at school longer than I did. That's how uh, he is uh, Dr. Sean Parker. And uh, he is uh, pastored in New Orleans for several years. Uh, he was pastor of the First Baptist Church of Columbus, Mississippi for 17 years. And today he is the executive director treasurer of the Mississippi Baptist Convention. Uh, it's a long title, but what that means is he leads the staff that serves 2,000 churches in the state of Mississippi. And uh, I consider Sean to be a friend. And when I knew that he was going to be in town. Uh, we're almost in town for the Southern Baptist Convention this week. I said, I'd love to have Sean come, and he said he'd be happy to come. So, Sean, come and bring the word for us this morning. Thank you, man. Bless you. Appreciate that, Tim. Uh, Tim has been a very good friend for a lot of years, as he indicated, and uh, we sweated blood and a lot of tears, actually, uh, as we took some of those classes in seminary, and then through the years, uh, we've had the opportunity to be together in uh, several of the churches that uh, he has pastored. And then uh, I remember in 2005 when uh, Hurricane Katrina hit this area, uh, Tim called me. He was pastoring in Florida. And uh, he said, I have a, a truckload of supplies and I'm trying to get them to Louisiana. And he said, it's very difficult to get from Florida to Louisiana, as many of you well remember. And so he literally had to drive north to Columbus and spent the night with us. And then he and I drove those supplies down to Bogalusa, I think was about as far as we could get, and uh, dropped them off and uh, enjoyed uh, the fellowship of that moment as we had the opportunity to minister. So that gives you some idea of how close a friend Tim and Susan have been, and we uh, are certainly praying for Susan that she will feel well soon and uh, be back to speed. So it is quite an honor to be with you. I, I pastored Metairie Baptist Church in New Orleans uh, and Lakeview Baptist Church for 12 years. So I feel like I am a Louisianian. Uh, both of our children, who are now grown, were born in New Orleans. One of them was born at Baptist Hospital, the other was born at Ochner. And so we consider Louisiana, and this particular part of Louisiana in particular, uh, as our home in many regards. And so we're quite honored to be here with you today. And uh, I want to invite you to find the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Tim shared with me that he has uh, recently been sharing some specific verses that uh, can build confidence in the lives of those of us who are believers. And so I, I'm not going to try to replicate what he has done, nor am I going to try to necessarily fit this message into his overall scheme. But uh, I, I would like to take one verse and dissect that verse and offer a little bit of a challenge to you today. I hope that it can perhaps build some confidence as well. But uh, whether it builds confidence or not, I hope that it challenges all of us to be the servants of Christ that we have been called to be. And the verse is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where Peter wrote to the Christians of Asia Minor, the Christians who had experienced persecution and therefore had been dispersed 
across the area. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I want to challenge you today to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me that our world seems to be wandering farther from God every day? We seem to be growing more spiritually apathetic by the day. And uh, I simply want to stand before you and say, by my observation, uh, we're, we're inclined to want to blame politicians or the culture or the broken family or whatever we may tend to blame. And all of those certainly play a role but I'm going to suggest to you that uh, the ultimate and fundamental responsibility for the spiritual apathy that we see in our culture today rests at the foot of our local churches. We have not been faithful through the years to share the message of Jesus Christ. Now, I was in college an English minor. I minored in English. And I like to tell people that I minored in it better than anybody has ever minored in it in the history of college education. I minored in it with a capital M, meaning by that I barely got by by the skin of my teeth. I remember learning about a literary device in uh, English that is called an oxymoron. And uh, I didn't know what an oxymoron was. I remember giving the, the typical answer that many males give on the test when I was asked to define an oxymoron. I said, it's a moron that lacks oxygen. And I, I thought I might get some points for that, but uh, discovered that that was absolutely wrong. There's nothing right about that definition. Uh, for those of you who are grammatically challenged as I was, especially at that time in my life, an oxymoron is a literary device that brings together a contradiction of terms. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, sometimes we go to the seafood restaurant and we order large shrimp. That is an oxymoron. Moron. How can it be a shrimp and be large at the same time? I, I remember driving through Texas uh, some years ago, and I drove through a little town called Humble, Texas. I don't know if I have any Texans here this morning, and if so, I don't mean to offend you, but that's an oxymoron. I've never known a Texan that was humble. If you're in Mississippi and you're on Highway 49 and you're driving south toward Hattiesburg from Jackson, Mississippi, there's a, there's a little recreational area, and it has a brown sign, and I snicker every time we drive by it, and it is advertising Dry Creek Water Park. And every time I drive by it, I can't help but smile. How, how can a dry creek have a water park? That, that's an oxymoron, a contradiction of terms. Now, I want to give you a, another contradiction of terms, another oxymoron that exists far too prominently in many of our churches today, and that is silent saint. Anybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ filled with the Holy Spirit, excited about the empty tomb, ought never to be silent about that one reality. And I'm going to go on to say that anybody who has been following Jesus Christ, excited about the empty tomb, filled with the Holy Spirit, and is silent, indicates that something is not right about your relationship with God. We ought never to be silent saints. And, and Peter here in this one verse of chapter 3 in this first letter challenges his hearers, his readers, and, and all of us to be bold 
as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, now I, I want to give you just a bit of context. I, I know that you're all biblical scholars, but uh, Peter wrote this first letter to the Christians who had been dispersed because of the persecutions that had erupted as the church grew, and they had scattered across the region in Asia Minor and even points further than that. Uh, Peter tended to focus on those who were living in the Asia Minor area, modern-day Turkey, and, and they were experiencing intense persecution, and it would have been very easy for them simply to uh, sort of uh, hide in the background, find a good shadow and take cover and not say very much about your faith. And in that context, Peter said, don't be that way. Be bold, be faithful witnesses, be ready to give an answer, a defense for anyone who asks you about the gospel that is at work in your life. And, and so in this verse, I think he gives us a very simple formula for how we can be contagious Christians, faithful witnesses, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me break it down for us, if I might, and just identify three simple little truths that I think must be operative in our lives if indeed we're going to be anything but a silent saint. And the first of these lessons is this. We must have a burden for the lost. Look at what Peter said. He said, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the hope that is in you. Always be prepared to share the gospel. Always be prepared to tell others about the hope that is in each of us by virtue of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you the, the key to always being prepared to do that is having a burden for those who are disconnected from God, alienated from Him, and in need of His salvation. We, we must have a burden for those in the world who are lost. We must be filled with deep-seated concern and passion to see people who are living in their lostness come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be honest with you, folks. I, I travel the state of Mississippi. I pastored local churches for 30 years. And over the last three and a half years, I travel the state of Mississippi every single week. And I see constantly an apathy among those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ toward those who are disconnected from God, and that must change if there is going to be a cultural shift in America today. We need to be burdened for those who are lost. Now, I'm going to tell you, we have a lot of emotions toward those who are lost. Some of us are angry at them, and I understand that. Listen, Elizabeth and I, we got to New Orleans yesterday and we walked through the French Quarter last night, and they were having a pride parade. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine an army of Southern Baptists meeting a pride parade? Boy, that was a recipe for a nuclear detonation. There is no doubt about it. And as we walked around, and I saw some of those individuals that were engaged in that, it, it was very easy for me to seethe with anger and say, What are you doing? doing we get angry at the politicians we get angry at all of the secularists we get angry at all of the liberal agenda that is a part of our world but I'm telling you instead of getting angry we need to be burdened for them and let me tell you why we need to be burdened for them we need to be burdened for those who are alienated from God because folks they are not going to be burdened for themselves 
Elizabeth and I, as I mentioned earlier, we lived in New Orleans for 12 years. I was pastoring Metairie Baptist Church, and we had a little dog. He stood about that tall. He was a chihuahua. He was brown, and he looked just like the Taco Bell dog. Does anybody remember the Taco Bell dog from days gone by, Yokiero Taco Bell? If only I had known they were looking for a little brown chihuahua that looked like that, I could have auditioned him and perhaps made some money. But I didn't know it until, until the guy was already famous, and so I missed out on the opportunity. But uh, he was a great little guy, and uh, we had him for about 12 years altogether. And uh, so we'd had him a number of years, and uh, uh, I came home from the office at Metairie Baptist one day, and Elizabeth and our two young children at that time uh, were in the house, and they were all terribly upset. They were crying, and uh, they were... They were sharing with each other about what had happened, and I walked in to discover that what had happened during the course of the day is they had gone into the backyard to play. Our backyard was fenced, and there was a gate uh, that uh, would allow access with a vehicle to the garage that was, parked, uh, that was in the back of the house, and that gate had been left cracked open just a little bit. Not enough to really do any damage except to allow a little brown chihuahua about that size to find escape. And so during the course of their playing, our little chihuahua got away, and uh, he was gone before anybody realized it. And uh, when uh, Elizabeth did realize it, she looked around, couldn't find him, and now all of a sudden we have a lost dog. I get home. My kids are devastated. They're crying. Elizabeth is upset. And I've got to be honest, I had to work real hard to hide my glee that that little guy was finally gone. <laughs> I really am just kidding. I, I, for those of you who are dog lovers, I don't really mean that. I, I really did like that little guy, but uh, every man understands what I'm talking about probably. So we, we did what families do under these circumstances. We sat down at the dinner table, and we had our kids make some homemade signs. Lost dog. Drew a little picture of him, colored him in, uh, and, and we said, lost dog, brown chihuahua, looks like the Taco Bell dog, and then we put our address and our telephone number at the bottom of the sign. We made up a handful of them, and we posted them on stop signs and light poles in the neighborhood. And, uh, and we waited, hoping that we would hear something. And so a day passed, two days passed. I, I believe it might have been on the third day we were having dinner, and uh, we heard a knock at the door. I hopped up, ran to the door. There was a gentleman standing there, and he had two pieces of paper in each of his hands. Uh, one of those pieces of paper was one of our signs that said, Lost Dog, Brown Chihuahua, looks like the Taco Bell Dog, our address. The other sign was a sign that said, Found Dog, Brown Chihuahua, looks like the Taco Bell Dog, and we knew we were on to something, and the address of the individual who had found the dog, and so we got ourselves together, hustled on over about eight or nine blocks from where we lived, uh, to the address indicated on the sign, and uh, I knocked on the door, and the owner of the home came to the door, opened it up, and uh, when he did, I saw my dog inside the house. Now, I don't know exactly what I was thinking would happen, but in my mind somewhere, I was thinking that when he saw me, he was going to come running as fast as he could, with chariots of fire music blaring in the background, and he was going to leap into my arms and say, I am so glad to be reunited with me. But that's not what happened at all. And as I began to look and observe uh, what his circumstances were, this is what I realized. I looked in the door, and he was sitting right up on their, co uh, their sofa, unattended, nobody around, 
Now, we, we typically didn't let our little dog just sit on our sofa free range. I mean, that just wasn't our pattern at our house. And here he was at this strange house. He was having the run of the mill. And on top of that, he was gnawing on something that looked to me to be the bone from a T-bone steak. And uh, I'm telling you, Tim, at, at our house, we were poor preachers. We never had T-bone steak. And if we did, we not only ate the meat, but we gnawed on the bones ourselves. That was how poor we were as preachers. He never had that opportunity at our house. And, and so, literally, I think he was rather disgusted to see me. If looks could speak, he looked at me and he said, Dude, what are you doing here? <laughs> literally, the owner of the house had to go over, pick him up, bring him, put him in my arms, and here we go. We're headed home. And I... I was rather disgusted as we walked back home with the little guy, and uh, as we did, uh, I had the thought of what had just occurred. You see, he, he had really been living the life, sitting on the sofa, unattended, free range, gnawing on T-bone steaks. He was lost, but he was really happy being lost. And all of a sudden, I realized the problem with the world today. The problem with the world today is that a lot of people are lost, but they're living high, wide, and handsome, doing what they want to do, thinking that they have the life, and they do not have a burden for their lostness at all. Consequently, we must be burdened for them. And if we're not, the vast majority of the people in the world today are going to split hell wide open because they do not see their need for God. We must be burdened in order to see the opportunities that avail themselves on a regular basis. All right, number two. If indeed we're going to be faithful witnesses, we must have a burden. Number two, we must build bridges. Let's look again at what Peter said. He said that we ought always to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Here it is. Don't miss it. This final phrase. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So our attitude toward those who are lost is to speak the truth to them, but to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth with gentleness and with respect to build bridges that would allow us to get to where they are, allow them to get to where we are. Once again, I, I see this as being uh, a woeful shortcoming in the lives of many of us who are believers because we're just so filled with anger these days at what's going on in our world. We're filled with anger because of all of these crazy agendas that seem to be taking over and, uh, and those agendas sometimes motivate emotions that uh, we ought not to have and, and then those emotions lead us uh, to be less than sensitive to those really who need to hear the message of the gospel in a loving way. And, uh, and I think this is precisely what, what Peter is addressing, that we ought not to allow our anger and our resentment and our bitterness toward all of these crazy agendas and crazy ideas that are occurring in the world by broken people from whom we ought to expect that, by the way. I mean, what do we expect them to do? Do we expect them to live like holy individuals? No, they're lost. They're broken. And we, therefore, ought to be sensitive to build bridges in order to connect with them. Now, Jesus was a master of building bridges with those who were less savory than most. You remember his conversation with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? He, he built a bridge, and that bridge was a conversation around water. 
And uh, Jesus uh, capitalized on having a meal in, 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 uh, in lost people's homes on a regular basis. Remember, he, he went to the home of Zacchaeus, and he sat down and had a meal with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. I'm talking about this was the worst of the worst of the worst in Jewish opinion. And, uh, and, and, and the response to Jesus' decision to have a meal with Zacchaeus was, he is a friend to sinners. <laughs> and then Paul, he was a great bridge builder as well. Do you remember Paul's conversation with, uh, with uh, those in Athens at the Areopagus, Mars Hill? Uh, he engaged them in a conversation that basically started with their understanding of religion. He pointed to a statue and said, hey, this statue represents your religion. Let me tell you a little bit about what that means. And, and then in Corinthians, Paul said, I became a Jew to a Jew. I became a Gentile to a Gentile. I become a slave to a slave. I become a freeman to a freeman. I become all things to all people so that by all means I might win some to salvation. We, we need to build bridges. And, and the, the key to building bridges is simply having good relational skills. You see somebody, engage them in a conversation. Invite them to a cup of coffee. Build a friendship with someone who really might not be an ordinary target of your friendship overtures. <laughs> and uh, invite them to your home. Feed them a meal. Share, share some special project together. Build bridges so that by the building of those bridges, you might create a foundation for sharing the message of the gospel. The, the methodology really is, is not the big deal. I mean, you, you, you know how to do that. It, it's really more of a mindset than it is a methodology, you see. If you have a mindset to build bridges, you're going to do it. If you have a mindset of concern for other people, you're going to do it. It's a mindset. <laughs> I, I had a, Tim, I had a guy talk to me some years ago, and uh, he had uh, moved out to California, and uh, he was pastoring a church that was a great church. They had relocated. They had relocated from one area of town to a new area of town. And they had built a magnificent facility, and so in the course of one afternoon, my friend said he had two guests. And uh, one of those guests was a gentleman who actually taught Sunday school in the church, and he came, knocked on the door, and he said, Preacher, he said, God has blessed us with a magnificent facility here. We, we know that it is his blessing. It's beautiful in every way. We anticipate that it's going to be used for generations to come to bless this church. But a housing developer had begun building about 400 new homes adjacent to the property on which this church was located. And, uh, and uh, the, the teacher said, but you know, this guy's building all of these homes, and these homes are going to have children. And we know that children are, are destructive by their very nature, and they're going to be over here vandalizing our property and destroying our property. He said, I'd like to make a suggestion that we build a fence right along the property line separating our, our church property from that housing development. That guy left. About an hour later, a deacon came by, knocked on the door, and he said, uh, Pastor, he said, God has blessed us with a new facility. It is magnificent and wonderful in every way. We anticipate it's going to be used for generations to come. And now a housing developer has begun building 
400 units adjacent to our property, and those, those houses are going to have mothers and fathers and children in them, and they all are going to need to know the Lord. So I would like to recommend that we build a sidewalk from the edge of that housing development to the front door of our church to make it as easy as possible for them to get here. My friend said in, in the course of an hour and a half, he saw the spectrum of uh, Christian mentality. There are those who want to build fences and keep people away and those who want to build sidewalks and help them in. You, you understand what I'm saying? This is a mentality. It's not so much a methodology. It's a mentality. Is your mentality to build sidewalks or is your mentality to build fences? Is your mentality to connect with people who need to know the Lord or is your mentality to be angry at them and keep them at arm's length? It is a mentality and I'm suggesting to you that if we're going to change our culture, we need to have a mentality that builds bridges with those who need to get to God. Now, number three, and finally, just by way of review, okay? We've talked about two things so far that are key to being an effective witness of Jesus Christ. The first of those starts with a B is burden. We must have a burden because they're not going to have a burden for themselves. And number two, we must build bridges. We must be bridge-building believers. Number three. If we want to be a faithful witness of the Lord and change the culture in which we live, we must have boldness about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter said in verse 15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The word defense is the translation of a good Greek word that is pronounced apologia, from which we get our English word apology, and, and that's not the idea of Peter's word here. We're, we're not giving apologies for the hope that is in us. The word, the word apologia in the Greek language is a word that, uh, that speaks of, uh, of an answer or, or a defense or an explanation for what we believe and uh, we need to be prepared to give an explanation for what we believe we need to be bold as we give that explanation we need to have confidence and and when I say that we are to be bold as witnesses I'm not talking about arrogance I'm talking about confidence I, I've known a lot of of witnesses that I think displayed a lot of arrogance <laughs> a lot of self-righteousness a holier-than-thou mentality I'm, I'm not talking about having a holier-than-thou mentality. I'm talking about having a I'm not worthy and thank God he saved me anyway mentality. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about confidence. Confidence that doesn't rest in us. Confidence that rests in him. We must be bold. And we have every reason to be bold as believers in Jesus Christ. I don't know why we sit on our hands and we fret and bite our fingernails and fear so much the, the world. We ought not to be that way. Listen, we have every reason to be confident because we're right. <laughs> Let me tell you three reasons that you can have confidence as a witness of Jesus Christ. Three sources of trust that can build confidence. Number one, as a witness, trust your testimony. Trust your testimony. Listen, 
If, if you start talking to somebody about the penal substitutionary atonement theory, well, they're probably, first of all, not going to know what you're talking about, and secondly, if they do know what you're talking about, they're probably going to know more about it than you do. And there's a good chance they're going to ask you a question that you do not have an answer for. And so consequently, they may stump you or they may prove that you really don't know as much as you say you do. They, they might even have an alternative that you can't provide an answer for. But I'm going, to tell you what, I'm going to tell you what an individual can never argue with. An individual can never argue with your testimony. I was lost. I was undone. I was confused. And I was introduced to Jesus Christ. I put my faith in him. All of a sudden, I realized I had a relationship with him, and he changed my life. And my confusion became understanding, and my lostness became security, and my uncertainty all of a sudden became confidence and hope. And nobody, nobody, nobody can argue with your experience. Trust your testimony. And by the way, if you've never... If you never articulated your testimony, go ahead and do that, okay? We generally tell people that there are, are three components to everybody's testimony. There's before Christ, there's meeting Christ, and there's after Christ. Write it down, figure it out. What were you like before you met Christ? How did you come to know Christ? And then how did he change your life thereafter? That's your testimony. Nobody can argue with that. Trust it. A, a second source of trust that can give us confidence is this. We ought to trust the truth. I, I believe that this is the truth of God. Do you believe this? Now, come on, folks. Let me tell you. I preach until I think you understand, so it behooves you to respond in one way or another, okay? You can say amen, smile amen, nod amen, but it'll expedite the process greatly if you'll just go ahead and make this a dialogue rather than a monologue. Are you with me? I believe this is the truth of God. All right, you're catching on. And I'm going to tell you something about the truth. The truth always triumphs. It always triumphs. In, in, in our world, now there may be, in this broken world, there may be some occasions where it seems like the truth doesn't triumph, but I'll tell you what, even in a broken world where you may not see the triumph of the truth, the truth will never let you down. The truth will never make you ashamed. The truth will never leave you with egg on your face. You can trust the truth. And I'm a, I'm a, I'll give you a very simple example of how you can trust the truth. We believe that God created the world in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Of course, there were generations ago when uh, uh, Charles Darwin suggested a different hypothesis that there was this evolutionary process that began with the Big Bang and so forth. And, uh, and, and that resulted in Darwinian evolution, which really has become the bane of American existence, truthfully, in my opinion. It has undermined faith in so many different ways. But I was listening to a scientist the other day on a program that I was watching, and he made this statement. He said, he said you know, not very many of us believe in Darwinian evolution anymore. Now, they have other theories. They have other explanations for how we came to be where we are. But it's not, it's not what Charles Darwin had to say. Isn't it interesting that... Uh, the truth can stand the test of time, but a lie never can. So trust the truth. Know the truth, speak the truth, and trust it. So trust your testimony, trust the truth, and then thirdly, trust the Trinity. 
Trust the triune God. We're talking about why you should have confidence as a witness of Jesus Christ. You want to know why you ought to have confidence as a witness of Jesus Christ? Because God is already at work to draw people unto himself and to save them. Did you know that's what God is all about? The, the Father desires people to be saved. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter said that uh, God is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance in Jesus Christ. It is God's desire for people to be saved. The Son draws people. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. So the Father desires them to be saved. The Son draws them towards salvation. Guess what the Spirit does? The Spirit drives them towards salvation. In John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus said that the Spirit will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. He is working in people's lives to expose their sinfulness and lead them to Jesus Christ. Listen, I don't know how many times I've gone out and I have shared the gospel with an individual only to discover that God showed up long before I was there. I remember visiting a lady in New Orleans. I just, it was just a cold call, and I went by to see her. I went by to see her, and uh, I, I, I didn't know exactly what to expect. Had a, had a buddy with me, and uh, we shared the gospel. And you know, under normal circumstances, you know, you get in New Orleans. I mean, they'll slam the door in your face just like that, lickety-split, without very much of a thought at all. And, and all of a sudden, uh, she began to well up with tears, and she began to share how she had just had a miscarriage, and she was looking for hope. And the fact of the matter is, we showed up at just the right moment. She came to faith in Jesus Christ, was baptized. A couple of years later, her husband, who was a fireman with the, with the New Orleans Police Department, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I knocked on her door not knowing anything about the circumstances, only to discover that God had, had already shown up. This is the way God works. So, summing up, we need to be faithful witnesses not silent saints. And if indeed we're going to be faithful witnesses, we must have a burden, we must build bridges, and we must be bold. Now, I, I know, I, I said earlier, I pastored churches for 30 years. I shared these kinds of messages on a regular basis, and invariably somebody would come up to me after the service Tim, and they would say, now, preacher, you know that I really can't do that. That's not my personality. I don't know enough about the Bible. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? I don't want people to think I'm some kind of a fanatic. And, and my response to those individuals was always the same. It, it, was, it was simply this. You just share the message and you leave the results up to God. You just share the message and you leave the results up to God. My grandfather, Norvin Parker, was a scoundrel. He was just a bona fide, authentic scoundrel. He, he moved my grandmother and my dad, when my dad was about 10 years old, from northwest Alabama to west Tennessee, up in the area where Tennessee, Alabama, and Mississippi meet. When my dad was about 10 years old, they moved. My, my grandfather was a sawmiller. He worked in the sawmill, and he was really rough around the edges. He, he cussed a lot. He drank a lot. He was a womanizer. Had an illegitimate son by someone other than my grandmother. 
Why my grandmother married him, I don't know that I'll ever understand. Because she was as saintly a lady as I've ever known in my life, but, but she did, she did. So there was, a, there was a gentleman in the little community where I grew up, Mickey, Tennessee. M-I-C-H-I-E, Tennessee. And his name was Douglas Carpenter. And Douglas Carpenter was a great man. He taught Sunday school. He was a deacon in the church. Taught me Sunday school whenever I was a kid. He owned a little general store. And if you were going to buy anything in Mickey, Tennessee, you went to buy it for Brother Carpenter because, buddy, he was the only show in town. He was the only one who had anything that could be bought. And so one day, my grandfather was in Brother Carpenter's general store to buy some supplies, gathered up all of his merchandise, brought it up to the counter, put it on the counter, and when he did, Brother Carpenter looked around and realized that there wasn't anybody else in the store besides he himself and my grandfather, Norvin Parker, and, and so Brother Carpenter shared the gospel with my grandfather, and my grandfather called on the name of the Lord and was saved as a result of that. I thank God for Douglas Carpenter. He just shared his faith, left the results up to God. Well, well, my grandfather experienced radical transformation. If you go back to First Baptist Church, Mickey, today, and you mention the name Norman Parker, nobody is going to say he was a scoundrel. In fact, they're all going to say he was one of the best we ever had because my grandfather went on to become a deacon and a Sunday school teacher and a mentor and a witness of the Lord. My grandfather led my dad to faith in Jesus Christ. My dad led me to faith in Jesus Christ. I thank God for Douglas Carpenter. So I was pastoring First Baptist Church, Columbus, Mississippi, probably 12, 13 years ago. I got a call from the pastor of First Baptist Church, Boonville, Mississippi. He said, uh, Dr. Parker, would you come up and uh, lead us in revival services? I said, Brother Lynn, would I? I would be ecstatic about doing that, and this is the reason why. I was born in Boonville, Mississippi. The closest hospital at the time to Mickey was Boonville, Mississippi, and that's where I came into the world. And so I, I thought I'd be coming full circle to go back to Boonville and preach. And so I got up that Sunday morning. I drove from Columbus up to Boonville, and I was so excited, and I stood up, and I shared with the people why I was excited. I'd been born in the hospital right across the street. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Shared the message. Extended the invitation. Had several people respond. Two of those who responded called on the name of Christ to be their Savior. They were, they were young men, probably about 25 or 30 years old. And after that service is over, I had two conversations that I will never forget as long as I live. One of those conversations was with a gentleman who had sung in the choir that morning. And boy, he was an impressive looking guy. Just older gentleman, perfect shock of gray hair, wonderful posture, just very impressive appearance, uh, good etiquette, walked up gave me a good, firm, honest handshake, the kind I really like. And, and he said, now, now, Pastor, do you mean to tell me that you were born in the hospital across the street? Is that what I understood you to say? And I said, yes, sir, that is indeed the case. And he said, at what year were you born? And I told him, 19 uh, so-and-so. 
And he said, uh, yeah, <coughs> I thought you looked familiar. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And he saw the confused look on my face, and he said, let me explain. He said, I'm a retired medical doctor. And he said, uh, I practiced in that hospital, and it just so happens in those years, I was the only doctor delivering babies, and that means I brought you into the world. And I, I confirmed with my mother that afternoon that Dr. James Preston was indeed the doctor who had brought me into the world. And Tim, I'll never forget that conversation because I remember standing there and when I realized that I had just preached the eternal word of God who saw me come out of the birth canal as I did. There was something about that that seemed rather unnatural and maybe even a touch embarrassing. You understand what I'm saying? But I'll never forget that conversation. The second conversation I'll never forget was uh, with one of those two young men who had come forward to put their faith in Jesus Christ. His name was David. I said, David, where are you from? He said, well, my dad was in the automotive industry, so we lived in Detroit for a while, Dallas, Texas, Ohio, Memphis, Tennessee. But we call Mickey, Tennessee, our home. And I looked at him real hard, and I said, now, hang on, David. I said, I am from Mickey, Tennessee. And there are 350 people who live in Mickey, Tennessee, and I know every single one of them, plus their dogs and cats, and I don't know you. I said, what's your last name? And he said, my last name is Carpenter. I said, do you know Douglas Carpenter? He said, yeah, that's my grandfather. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. I am as Baptist as Baptist can be. I mean, I, I, am the, I am the guy with the Mississippi Baptist Convention. You can't be any more Baptist than I am, but I almost had an old-fashioned Pentecostal fit right there in the altar of First Baptist Boonville when I realized what God had just done. Let me connect the dots for you, okay? God used Douglas Carpenter to lead my grandfather to faith in Christ, who led my dad to faith in Christ, who led me to faith in Christ, so that God could use me 50 years later to lead David Carpenter, Douglas Carpenter's grandson, to faith in Jesus Christ. Only God could do something like that. And I'll tell you one more time. You just share the message and you leave the results up to God. I am absolutely confident that he is able to coordinate circumstances to accomplish his eternal purpose. And friend, what I want to say to you is this, you better get busy. We better get busy. Who knows? You might be sharing the gospel with somebody who's going to share the gospel with somebody who's going to share the gospel with your grandchild or your great-grandchild and help them come to faith in Jesus Christ. So what are we waiting for? Let's roll up our sleeves, straighten our shoulders, firm up our chin, and be bold in sharing the truth of God's love. Have a burden, build some bridges, and be bold. This is the key. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to open the Bible, read it, and think about what it means for us. I thank you for this church. I thank you for Brother Tim and our friendship over the years. And Lord, I ask for your blessings upon these next few moments as we entertain the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, if there are some here and they have really not been very faithful as witnesses, Lord, I know that there are a lot of people right here in Hammond, Louisiana, who need to know you, and I pray that you would burden our hearts and that you would convict us to be the kind of people who build bridges and demonstrate boldness in sharing the faith. 
Father, if there are some who need to become more plugged into the church, I pray that you would lead them to that. If there's anybody here who doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict and that the Son would draw and that you would exhibit your desire that they know you today. And Father, I pray all of this for your glory and honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. So we're going to sing together, and as we do, your pastor and maybe others are going to be here at the front to receive any of you who feel led to make a decision. If God's spoken to you and you feel like you need to decide uh, to follow him, maybe you'd like to rededicate your life to be a more faithful witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you come down to the altar and maybe say a prayer for somebody that God has put on your mind. Maybe you'd like to become a covenant member of this church. Go ahead and do that today. Go ahead and do that today. You know, you may have been visiting this church for 50 years. Listen, I used to tell people at First Baptist Columbus, we love to date you, but we want to get married sooner or later. Go ahead and say, I do, today. Go ahead and say, I do, today. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. You're not sure where you would go if you died this afternoon. Would you be willing to come to the cross and allow the grace of God to change you forever? If you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sin and acknowledge Him as Lord... He will do just.